In Joshua chapter 15 and verse 8, as the children of Israel have conquered the land, they're dividing it up among themselves. God is giving them instructions as to which tribe will uh, be contained in what area of this new land that they're going to live in. And he gives some instructions on the various boundaries. And we won't go into all all the boundaries, trust me, okay? You're all right. But in Joshua chapter 15 and verse 8, And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Raphium northward. This is the God-given border between Judah and Benjamin. Part of it is this valley of Hinnom, right there near Jerusalem, within sight, really, of the higher places within the city. And this valley was to be maintained as the border between these two tribes for all of eternity. So it was to be marked, it was to be known, it was to be recognized, and it was to be respected. This valley sits there as this border for a long time, but then in Chronicles chapter 28, starting with verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Ahaz makes a mockery of this boundary. He sets it up as a a place of defilement, a place of not only burning incense, but it would seem sacrificing children. Most likely to the god Molech, but sometimes this practice would go on to other uh, false gods as well. Now, Ahaz, when he dies, in chapter 29, starting with verse 1, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. You remember about Hezekiah. Hezekiah seems to try to put things right again. He seems to try to do the right thing. Most of the time. He has his times. He has his moments. Particularly after God 
through his, his own pleading and begging, grants him another 15 years of life. And he wastes that 15 years. But once he dies in Second Chronicles chapter 33, starting with verse 1. Manasseh, this is his son, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery. He consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set up a carved image, which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Manasseh was an exceptionally evil king. Any reforms that had been attempted beforehand, he wiped them out. Even to the point of going back to the practice in this valley of Hinnom, to allow his sons to pass through the fire. And there is debate. If you look this up, there is debate as to exactly what that means. Some believe it means that they would set up fires and have the, the children walk between the fires. Some believe that it was they would they would set up a fire and the child would have to walk through the fire. And come out the other side. And some believe it is a reference to a practice that they have found examples and evidence of in that land of sacrificing their children as burnt offerings. This was evil to God. This was absolute pure evil. Even to the point that God in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21, before they had gone into the land, warned them, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. That is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. God wanted them to know this. 
There is this practice in the land you're going to. You shall have nothing to do with it. In 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 23. There is a king that comes to power. Oh, sorry. I wanted to do... Let's go to Jeremiah first. I'm sorry. Skipped ahead in my notes. Jeremiah chapter 7. I want to read to you a warning that God gives through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 7, starting with verse 28. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And we just saw how the kings did that. Verse 31. And they have built the high places of Topet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. It wasn't even a thought that God had for them. Verse 32, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Through Jeremiah, God gives them a warning. He doesn't give them a warning, you've got to stop this now or else. He gives them the warning that because you have done this, this is what will happen. Their time for repenting had gone. The time for change was over. And while there may be some time pass by where God relents on this, eventually, he says this is what's going to happen. So now let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23. A young boy by the name of Josiah becomes king. Now, as bad as Manasseh was, Josiah was that much good. (laughs) They were absolutely opposites. Josiah was young, and so he had to take some of the advice of the of the elders, some of the advice of the advisors. And so the first part of his reign, he's trying to get a feel for how to become king, but eventually he recognizes we have to do something about the temple. 
So they begin fixing it up. And they find a copy of the law. Can you imagine things being so bad spiritually that somebody comes along and says, you know, we got to do something about getting things fixed up in the church. And they start looking around and they, they find this book called the Bible. And they start looking at it and they go, wow, God's telling us what we're supposed to do. This is what it was like. They had gotten so far away that this was shocking. When read to him, Josiah tore his clothes. He pronounced that the whole nation should mourn and repent and return. So he begins making some revisions, some changes. And in 2 Kings chapter 23... Uh, let's see, I'll, I'll start reading in verse 8. And he, it's talking about Josiah. These are some of the, the things that he did. We won't read them all because he did a lot. He made a lot of changes. But verse 8, And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense. Now normally when we read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and it says that somebody defiled something, that's a bad thing. Because they're talking about the temple, or they're talking about an altar, or they're talking about a feast day, or they're talking about something that God wanted them to do that they didn't do right, and it defiled it. But in this case, it's a good thing. Because what it means is he's taking all of those high places, and he's ripping them apart. He's desecrating them. He defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beth, Beth Beersheba. And he also broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he, Josiah, he defiled Topeth, Topet which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. He destroyed the place that they were doing this. He eliminated it. He tore it down and made it so that nobody could do that anymore in that place. Now we don't know from biblical reference, a lot of what happened. But you remember Jeremiah's prophecy that it would become a place where the dead would pile up, where there there would be no more place to bury in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And according to Jewish tradition, and this is Jewish tradition, this is not biblical reference. According to Jewish tradition, this valley became a place where the filth of the city, dead animals, dead criminals were cast out. Sometimes burned, according to Jewish history. In Greek, are you trans, are, are you, are you familiar with the idea of transliteration? We use it all the time, even if you don't realize it. 
There's a there's a a word in the Greek, baptizo. You've probably studied this, I hope. And when the English translators were making their English versions, there was there were words that could be translated baptizo into overwhelmed or immersed or swallowed up. There were words, there were phrases they could have used. Those didn't sit well, so they transliterated it into baptism. See, when you transliterate a word, you just take an existing word that means something and you turn it into the current language you're speaking. And that's what they did. This valley, the Valley of Hinnom, and the Valley of the Son of Hinnom in Greek was known as Gihinnom. That was the Greek form of that Hebrew that set of Hebrew words, and it meant the Valley of Hinnom. But when that was translated, they they translated it into the word we know as Gehenna. This was a place that was not only meant for the unclean, but just being there made you unclean. No self-respecting Jew would be there unless there was absolutely no other choice. Now, like many other references in Scripture, Jesus uses the word Gehenna as a physical place, the Valley of Hinnom, but with an intention of helping us understand a spiritual place. There are other Greek words in the New Testament that are translated into the word we use, hell. There are other words that are translated into English, hell, other Greek words. But what I find really interesting is that this word, this word Gehenna is only used by Jesus except for one instance where James chooses to use it. Those instances are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, where Jesus says the foolish are in danger of hellfire. It's used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, where Jesus gives a warning that the body could be cast into hell. And, and several of these Matthew references also have Parallel references in some of the other Gospels, but I'm not going to give all of those. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus tells us that the soul and the body can be destroyed in hell, in Gehenna. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Jesus says that the Jewish leaders are guilty of leading people to Gehenna, to hell. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, the Jewish, leader, Jewish leaders, Jesus say, says, will not escape hell. And the one reference outside of Jesus in James chapter 3, verse 6, James warns us that our tongue can be set on fire by Gehenna, by hell. One of these passages... I want to go to Mark chapter 9. I want to look at it a little bit closer. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> verse 
I'll start reading in verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. That's Gehenna. Into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two feet. To be cast into hell, that's Gehenna, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is not encouraging physical self-harm. He's not advocating literally cutting off parts of our body that have caused us to indulge or be involved somehow in sin. What he is doing is he's instructing us to take whatever measure is necessary, even drastic ones, to avoid Gehenna. It is that bad that Jesus says, I don't care what it takes. You do what's necessary to avoid it. You do what's necessary to live your life in a way that God will be pleased. Because no self-respecting Christian wants to go. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, hell was created to punish the devil and his demons. The devil, that's why it's there. But God is clear, however, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, that he will also send those that reject him. And in the New Testament, those who reject his son. He will send them to follow Satan to this very same place. This valley of Hinnom. Hell throughout the Bible is described in various ways. It's a place of torment. It's full of the wicked. An unquenchable fire. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. No rest, condemnation, destruction, darkness, a lake of burning sulfur, never-ending. Those are all phrases and words that are used to help us understand what this spiritual place is going to be like. The actual physical valley of Hinnom is not like that. But Jesus used that to help us understand a spiritual truth. That is what spiritual hell will be like. There is no air 
in hell. Because God is the breath of life. There is no peace in hell. Because God is the prince of peace. There is no comfort in hell. Because God is the comforter. There is no love in hell. Because God is love. Hell is complete darkness. Because God is light. All those qualities that God gives us won't be in hell because God is not there. This is something that we should give serious, serious thought to. It may be something that we don't think about enough. We think about dying. But when we think about dying, we think about, well, who's going to get all my stuff? That is the least of our concerns. When, when Jesus healed the lame man at the pool, he'd been there for years, couldn't quite make it in. What kind of torment and torture do you think that man was in? Unable to walk, unable to help himself. Cure is right there. How much torture would that be? And Jesus heals him. And he runs off. Not really knowing what happened, but awful glad. Scripture records that the next day Jesus saw him in the temple. In the, in the grounds, in the area of the temple. And he recognized him. The, the man recognized Jesus and he came up to him. And he thanked him. You remember what Jesus said to him? Go, go and do, and sin no more. Lest something worse happen to you. Something worse? This is something we have to be ready for. Our death. You're walking down the sidewalk, minding your own business, and a car jumps the curb. You're dead. You're driving to the store and someone runs a red light. You're dead. You're, you're at work and your undiagnosed aneurysm bursts. You're dead. You're watching TV when you feel that heart attack hit you like a Mack truck. You're dead. I want to read you a poem. I don't remember where I got it. I've had it for a long time. may be hard to hear. Sometimes it's hard to read. I had on new clothes, new sneaks on my feet. I was there for class on time, went to the back, took my seat. 
Yeah, I'm moving up. I'm already grown. Soon I'll be graduating and out on my own. I talked to some of my friends. We were all having fun. Said some things I shouldn't have said. Did things I shouldn't have done. I knew I was different. I'd felt God touch my heart. I knew I should set a standard. I knew I should, but then I'd be set apart. Walking to the bus, I did not have a spiritual thought. I heard the car tires screeching, but now it's too late. I'm standing in this room and I can see the heavenly gate. Oh no, I never was baptized. I thought I had time to get it straight. An angel walked to me. He had a book in his hand. I knew it was the book of life. And would this nightmare end? I told him my name and he began to look. Then he gazed at me sadly and said, Your name is not in this book. Angel, this is a dream. I can't be dead. He closed the book and turned away. He whispered, you cannot proceed ahead. No, no, this can't be real. I don't want you to turn me away. Let me talk to Jesus himself. Maybe he, he'll let me stay. He led me to the gate. Jesus came to me. He did not let me in, but said, beloved, what is your need? Jesus, I cried, please don't cast me away from you. Tears ran down his face as he said, You knew what you needed to do. Lord, please, I'm young. I never thought I would die. I thought I had plenty of time. Death caught me by surprise. You see, you see, I I went to church. Please, Jesus, I believe. He said, you would not accept my love. You would would not accept me, my love you would not receive. Lord, there were too many hypocrites. They weren't being true. He took a step back and asked, what does that have to do with you? My family claimed to be saved. Maybe they could help, you know. He said, I died for you. Now I have to go. I fell to my knees, crying to him. I plan to accept you tomorrow. I couldn't make him understand. I had never felt such sorrow. Then it hit me hard. I said, Lord, where will I go? He looked into my eyes and said, my child, you already know. Lord, you're supposed to be love. How can you send me to damnation? He replied, with your mouth, you said you love me. But each day you rejected my salvation. Please, Jesus, I begged. That place is so hot. Although it seemed to trouble and grieve him, he whispered, depart from me. I know you not. With that in an instant, day turned into night. I never believed such torture could be. Now too late, I know the Bible is right. If I can tell you anything, hell has no age. It is a place of torture separated from God and full of rage. I thought it was funny, a joke. But this one thing is true. 
If you never accept Jesus Christ, hell is waiting for you. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus actually gives us an example of somebody who went through a similar experience. In Luke chapter 16, we have the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man who had everything he could want, Lazarus who was a beggar at his gate. And they both die. Verse 22, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tortured in this flame. That might give us a little insight into why he's there in the first place. Selfish. Only looking for the, for the now. Not thinking of the future. Just a drop of water. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there to us. Then he said, this is, the, this is uh, the rich man, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And now he realizes, I'm here and I can't change it. But I certainly don't want anybody else. I don't want anybody I know or care care about to find themselves in the same place I am. Verse 29. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Abraham says, God's told them. To them to listen. Verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes with them from the dead, they will repent. He seems pretty confident. Verse 31, but he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. God has warned us. He has warned us of the dangers and the evil in the valley of Hinnom. In Gehenna. In hell. He's warned us. The only question is, are we going to listen? Are we going to accept those warnings? He even went far enough to send his son, have him die, and have him raised from the dead. 
how much more proof do we need? In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Is it your goal to spend eternity in the valley of the son of Hinnom? Is it your goal to spend your eternity in a place that God will not be there. There will be no measure of comfort, no drop of water on your tongue to ease the pain, no vacation from it, no aid. Or do you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, Enter into your rest. We all have to make that choice. And I urge you, when you think about what happens if I die, make your stuff the lowest priority. Set up your future for eternity with God. Set up your children's future for an eternity with God. Set up your brothers and sisters. Set up your friends. Set up your relatives. Anyone you care about. Because if we cared about them, the valley of the son of Hinnom is the last place we would ever want them to be. You need to choose Jesus. If you need to repent and be baptized so that you have that opportunity to hear well done. Don't put it off. Because whether we realize it or like it or not, our death can come at any moment. Won't you come forward if it is your desire to set yourself up for success in the the future as we stand and as we sing?